Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Networks podcast. I'm your host, Brent Snyder, a.k.a. not Travis Tyler, but I do have Travis Tyler with me today. Travis, how are you? I'm blessed, brother. Thank you. So if you are wondering why Travis has been relieved of, um, I guess, his lead hosting responsibilities. You fired me. It's not because Travis has done a poor job. It's because Travis is what I might consider an expert on the topic today. Travis, I'm not sure if that's a compliment considering the topic for discussion today. I'm not sure it's a desired uh, area that you want to <laughs> be an expert in, but unfortunately it is so, what it is. So. If, you're, if you're wondering, you're sitting on the edge of your seat as you're listening to this, what in the world kind of topic are we talking about? Today, we are talking about church conflict. Yes. Almost every church has it. If you don't have it now, then you're probably going to have it at some point, or you've had it at some point in the very recent past, because churches are full of people, and that means that churches are susceptible to conflict. And uh, I've got a lot of friends in the ministry, Travis, and I don't have any that are as well-versed in handling conflict as you. I'm not sure. Travis, if you find trouble or if trouble finds you. Yeah, that's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I was thinking back. I um, I started in ministry first time on a church in the fall of 2001. So I've been in the game now for 20 years. And uh, it wasn't all conflict, certainly. I, I've gotten some encouraging notes from folks in different states that don't even know one another about the impact we had, but if you're going to pursue biblically faithful gospel-centered ministry, you're going to run across it. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So um, for today's episode, we're going to, um, I'm I'm just going to take the role sort of of interviewer today and uh, just just tee Travis up and, and let him have a chance to talk about about conflict again. Uh, if you're listening to this, there's a really good chance that your church is either just coming out of a conflict in the middle of a conflict, or there is a conflict coming down the road. I know that may not be the most optimistic way to look at it, but I think that is in many ways the reality of ministry. So hopefully yes. this will be helpful to you. Uh, Travis, let's just begin. I think we've sort of already acknowledged that uh, as churches, we, we have conflict. But I think that the reality is, as we look around, more oftentimes than not, probably, churches are not handling conflict well. Why would you say that is? Why would you say churches really struggle to handle conflict, especially if conflict is common to churches in many ways? I think it's probably a two-pronged problem. Uh, One being people don't really understand how the gospel affects conflict Mm. and then two uh, bad patterns of conflict that have been learned in 
the family you were reared in, and then you just kind of bring that in the church and you fight like you fought in your family and, um, or even how you've learned to fight at work. That sometimes happens as well. You know, you come in and if you are used to, you know, snuffing somebody out at work as the way that you're used to doing conflict. And sometimes, unfortunately, that gets brought into the church and conflict is sought to be handled that way. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great, a great point. We, a lot of times we fall into trouble because we try to do church the way the secular world maybe does secular things or secular businesses operate. And so um, it's not that business practices can't be helpful in a church, but um, I think that that point of um, unhealthy or bad patterns that we've just learned over time in different contexts and trying to apply those to the church, that, that definitely happens a lot. And then of course the con or the perception of how the gospel engages our, our conflict as well. That's good. Um, so let me ask you this question. Conflict is common to the church and maybe the church um, oftentimes or many times doesn't handle it well. But let me ask, does conflict always, or maybe I should say, is it an automatic indicator that a church is unhealthy? No, I don't think so. Um, I think that you have any church, you have a, a, a bunch of people who are a mess and because you have a bunch of messy people you're dealing with, you're going to have conflict. That doesn't mean they're not worth the mess, right? Tacos are messy, but we still love tacos, right? Um, <laughs> you know, so you look at the New Testament and Paul writes many letters to churches that are in conflict. And in fact, much of the New Testament is written because there are local churches that are in conflict, and they're having problems at various mm. relational levels or theological levels or both. And so much of the New Testament is sparked out of a church conflict. And, you know, sometimes when church conflicts happen, hopefully what is left after the conflict is over is actually a more healthy gospel-centered mm. church than perhaps what was there before. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. I, I will refrain from naming the church or even using the church's name, but uh, when I was still serving in, in Avery County, there was kind of a church in the area, and we were talking to some of the leadership about some things that were going on there, and the question was asked about their mission and vision for the church, and the response that was given is, uh, we're just a people that don't fight. We're, we're wow. just a people that always get along, mm. and Man, that sounds really good, but I love I love what you said about you know churches are full of messy people and and really isn't the job of a healthy church just to have the gospel shine light on our messes and bring those messes to the surface and sometimes man when those messes come to the surface it is it is going to cause conflict um, but that's the reason I think conversations like this are important because it's one thing to have the gospel shed light on the mess and conflict come to the surface, but it's another thing to also use the gospel to resolve that conflict. And so some churches might do a really good job at bringing the conflict to the surface, but then not really handling it once it's there. And I think that's really what we're talking about today. So, uh, yeah, so yeah. I, I think that um, once the conflict emerges, the most common fleshly responses to that are fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. And the conflict comes to the surface 
mean, they're going to fight you to the kill until I win. And it's all about winning at all costs, which is unhealthy. Or yeah. I'm out. I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm going to another church that I perceive doesn't have conflict. And the grass is always greener on the other side until you got to mow it. And then you find <laughs> out that, oh, this church has conflicts too. Uh, so, you know, you're not going to escape it by just pulling the ripcord and going to another church because you'll find maybe not the same exact type of conflicts over the same issues, but there'll be conflict. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, um, what would you say are some of the most common types of conflict as the gospel works on messy people and some of those messes come to the surface? What are, what are the most common types of messes or conflict that we see in our churches? You know, that's, that's sort of hard. Uh, I would say that, um, you know, and we're going to talk specifically about Baptist life here and probably Baptist life in the mountains. I, I would say that a lot of times conflict is usually rooted in unmet expectations of one party or another. And um, I, I think that when we look at what are the most common unmet expectations, it centers around expectations of the pastor for the church or the church for the pastor. If that's the area of conflict in the rub, usually that looks something like this. Uh, he was a preacher, but he wasn't a pastor. This is a common complaint that I'll hear. You know, he just didn't spend enough time visiting, you know? Well, I mean, sometimes you do the math on some of these churches, like take my church, for example, there's 134 homes that we are, our regular attenders or members here with anywhere from one to seven people per household. You know, how many hours do you want spent visiting 134 homes a week? You know, what is, what is ample time for that? Um, you know, there's, there's really not a lot of thought given. I don't think on the side, only thing they realize is, well, he's not spending enough time with me. And then on the pastor side, you know, there's a rub of churches sometimes promising, well, we'll cover this for you. We'll cover that for you. We'll, We'll do this for you. And then the time comes for those things to be done and they're not done. And so, you know, everybody kind of stores up these unmet, unmet expectations in like a bank of discontentment <laughs> until it eventually ruptures. I think we also see conflicts over, uh, usually my mother said this best years ago uh, when she worked in the bank and she said, you'd see people's true colors when it comes to money. And so when you go to a business meeting, how money is spent, where money goes, there will be fights over that. You know, usually churches are fine with any kind of missions partnership that doesn't require financial giving. But the moment you talk talking about that kind of support, that's where you're going to start seeing conflicts arise and where people really, really think the money should be. And that, again, goes to those expectations, either being met or not being met, usually not being met, and it'll flare itself. Uh, in addition to that, you also have conflicts that center around interpersonal relationships. Maybe there's a divorce in the church. Maybe there is a, um, you know, it could be about anything. I've heard horror stories of, uh, you know, car accidents where church members, kids or friends of church members, kids were involved and it goes into court and gets nasty. I've heard of conflicts where one church member agreed to, you know, do some work for another church member and ended up ruining the roof and also the chimney and thousands of dollars of damage. And people had to kind of pick a side of who was right and who was wrong. So, you know, it, it's it, any, any kind of any, any kind of interpersonal 
fight that you can think of has the potential to spill over into the body. Uh, in the first century, we see, you know, the widows were complaining, the Jewish widows and the Greek widows, and deacons were meant to kind of be shock absorbers and help with that fight and smooth that out so that the gospel work can continue on and not be a distraction. That's the issue is when the conflict gets so consuming that the true mission and work of the church is, is sort of sidelined in order to deal with the conflict. Hmm. You know, that's, that brings up an interesting point. Um, we, we of course already talked about this, about churches not handling conflict well, but that, um, that instance that you reference in scripture, you know, that's, that's really, that's really where, um, the office of deacon is introduced into the New Testament. I think so. Some would disagree with that, but I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, which whether it's where it's introduced or not, they appoint deacons for to, to help resolve that issue. And so um, I wonder if one of the, if to circle back to that first question, why we don't handle church conflict well, if it may be because we have not um, done a good job of raising up and training church leaders mm-hmm. to be able to yes. come alongside us. And I'm speaking now from the perspective of a pastor to come alongside yes. us and helping address these conflicts. Being proficient. Um, you know, I would encourage you if you're a listener here and, and we've sort of talked about this and the deacons sort of serve this way here at our church, but maybe you should consider, you know, having a couple of deacons that are peacemaker trained. You know, you spend a lot of time helping them to understand that and getting the church to buy into that so that they can help, you know, in those situations be sort of a mediator. You know, mediators are important. Otherwise, right, we could just go straight to God and handle our sins, but we needed mm-hmm. uh, Jesus to be the mediator between us and God the Father. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a good it's a good model here. Mediators are critical, you know, in mm-hmm. salvation and also sometimes, and depending on how far the conflict has gone, mediators can be excellent at putting some conflicts to bed and rest. So, Well, another one that you brought up there that I think is very interesting, but also it's very fitting for the context in which we serve here in the mountains, but these interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. and you mentioned a divorce. And typically when we think of divorce, we say, okay, well that affects either two people or if they have kids, obviously them and their kids. But the reality is, ripple. especially in mountain churches, mm-hmm. that divorce could affect two families in the church. And that may be half of your church. Yep. Um, because maybe they met in the church and both of their families have always went to that church. And you may have 20 people, 50 people that are sort of in those two families. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, it's not just it may spill over into church life. It's going to spill over into church life. (laughs) And I think it's important to note for me personally, my experience, more times than not, you don't end up retaining either person that was divorced. A lot of times, usually both end up kind of pulling the ripcord and disappearing. And then you're, everybody sort of left to pick up the pieces afterwards. And it's just, it's rough. Um, So anyhow, that's That's where that good leadership comes in too, because a lot of times the as pastors, the leaders and stuff that we're trying to raise up and train, they're the people that's been in that church long before we got there. And we'll probably be in that church long after we've left. And they have relationships with these people that are having interpersonal uh, relationship problems that they may be better suited to help resolve that conflict than you are anyway. So yeah, another one that I would that I would mention, maybe get your thoughts on this, because I think from again, from the perspective of a pastor, this can be one of the 
one of the most discouraging types of conflict that we experience, especially when we are just on fire for God's mission and being on mission for God as a church. But changes to the status quo mm. cause conflict. And mm. I would just be interested to get your thoughts on um, one, maybe why that's the case, but two, for pastors and church leaders that realize there's a need for change here, but this change is going to bring with it some measure of conflict. How can I, how can I best uh, maybe be preemptive in handling that conflict that's going to come about from this change initiative? All right, so on the front end of this, and this is what I've told our leaders here at Grace every time we've implemented a major change, because it's true, you know, you're going to, this is the reality of conflict and change. I know this isn't an episode on change, but we're going to get a little nugget here. Yeah. Um, you're going to lose people. If you don't make change, you're going to lose people. If you do make change, you're going to lose people. So the question is, who do you want to lose? It's not, can you prevent people from being lost? It's who do you want to lose? If you don't make change, you're going to lose your most innovative, some of your most excited, better workers. And if you're, you're, uh, but you'll keep people on the other side. I like to call them no, no birds. No, no birds are usually the ones that, you know, about anything you bring up, they're not going to be on board with. And to be fair to the no, no birds, I think the way that they look around and see things is through the lens of mistaking practice for principle. Mm. So they think that whatever the practice is of a biblical principle that they're used to is the principle. So for example, you know, um, the King James Bible is an excellent translation. It is strong on many points. It is inflective. It's the only Bible translation in English that is inflective, has a distinction between the and thou. You know, we don't know in English if it's you as, you know, Brent or you as the entire congregation. We don't know. We can't see that yeah. unless we have more context. And in the King James, you can see that. You can see a the and thou difference. But there are passages that are hard, like, you know, Job, canst thou bind a unicorn in the furrow? You know, it's <laughs> like it's a hard place to, it's a hard <laughs> starting point for a sermon, you know. Uh, so there's some places hard. And plus, the King James is written at about a 12th grade reading level. And your average newspaper is at about an eighth grade. And so we know scripture doesn't change, but language clearly does, you know. Yeah. Well, most churches, you know, if you've been in the mountains, you've been around for a long time. You grew up on the King James, hearing it in the pulpit and being it. And, and that's the principle there, you know, and that's the that's the principle is God's word doesn't change. The practice of that was the King James. That was the most common authorized version used, most readily available for many years. So now it's seen as well, then this must be the only, you know, and so there are conflicts over Bible translations. Um, there are conflicts over, you know, apparel and dress, right? This is another issue of a principle and practice. Uh, you know, what is it that God's desire is for, for worship? I've just uh, picked up a book recently about uh, Christian paganism by Barna. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, where he traces the history of, you know, dressing up to go to church and, uh, you know, Sometimes putting on the quote Sunday best, you may just be putting on a, a Halloween costume to pretend to be something you're not whenever you come Ooh. into the church. Oh, I know it's terrible. Isn't it? Easy. I, I, 
I uh, know, right? I'm getting a little rough here, but I think <laughs> Jesus makes it pretty clear in uh, Luke 11 and in multiple passages that the Lord cares more what's on the inside. Now, am I saying you should wear an old raggedy greased up, you know, mechanic should grab his old grease up outer garment and wear it to church? No, I mean, look decent, but it's, you know, I think the Lord cares much more about the inside. That's the principle than the outside of the cup, you know, preferably, you know, clean them up both, right? Look halfway decent for both there and have a level of consistency that's there. And then there are, there are lots of other ones too, you know, uh, just our general paradigm for doing church three to thrive, you know, a, a 1920s or a little older, maybe model for doing church, um, you know, trying to take seriously that not forsaking together, together one another, that's the principle and the practice was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That was the application. Well, now that has become the practice that's mistaken for the principle. Hmm. You know, people feel guilty, you know, uh, if they've missed one of those three. And uh, anyhow, so there's more I could go on with, but there's three kind of common ones that seem to seem to kind of lift their head up. So, so as a pastor, then. If and again, we're our focus here is on conflict, but um, on this conversation of change can create conflict. What what can pastors and church leaders that are sort of engaging in this change process? What can they do on the front end to try to prevent the conflict? Now, I know you said that, and, and I think you're so right. People are going to leave, and you got to decide who you want to lose. But on the same, on the same sort of, I guess in that same vein, we don't want to lose them unless we absolutely have to, right? We we know that we have to change, but if we can, what is it that we can do to keep from losing these people and get them on board rather than just casting them aside and saying, "Okay, see you later." Before I jump in on that, I want to make one point clear. Brent and I are usually talking within the context of church revitalization and established yeah. churches. And if you're listening to this and you're a church planner and you say, well, you know, I, um, I, I don't have to worry about this, you know, losing people thing. Well, studies show in the first five years, you're probably going to lose 85 to 90% of your people. They almost function like scaffolding. So it's across the board. But yeah. back to your original question, though, about how do you prepare for who you're going to lose? Well, you got to ask yourself some hard questions and uh, you're going to have to look close at scripture when it tells us, for example, fear of man is a snare. You know, when you're a minister, people have a lot of expectations for you. And uh, the, one of the snares is, you know, I think many pastors are naturally inclined towards people pleasing, but if you're going to be faithful to what God has said, you're not going to make everybody happy. So the real thing you need to focus on is making Jesus Christ happy and making the Lord happy as best that you can. And the chips are going to fall where the chips are going to fall. Uh, and not everybody likes that answer, but you know, if you make yourself a slave, which is basically what you're going to end up doing, if you make yourself a slave to the congregation and they're, and they're changing whims and desires and changing expectations for the pastor, you're going to be miserable. Because it, it, you're never going to be you're never be satisfied. So I'd say the first thing is this, you know, you're going to do a gut check and ask yourself, how badly do I struggle with fear of man? Because I would argue every pastor struggles with fear of man. It's just what level do you struggle with that? Yeah. 
Uh, two, I think you need to spend a lot of time in prayer and alone with the Lord. I think great confidence comes in moments of heat and conflict by what's done privately when nobody sees, you know, that you're, you're deeply rooted and grounded in what scripture says that you yourself have a confidence in not only the scriptures, but you have a confidence that if you do what God's asking you to do, he'll take care of you. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be living a cush life, but you're not going to miss any need that's there. Um, so I would say those two things are going to be good places to start. And then three, I would say you need to, you need to be careful where you bleed when you're in conflict, right? So, you know, when you're in conflict, you're either getting bit by sheep to the point that they're drawing blood or you are, um, you're getting run through with a sword or cut with a sword or a dagger and you're bleeding and you got to be careful who you bleed on. I think there's a real temptation to bleed on other staff members and just kind of go off on them and tell them how you feel. Um, don't do that. That's not good for them. And it's not good for you. There's also a temptation to bleed on your wife and children. Your children is a terrible place to bleed. You know, you need to try to keep them out of that as much as possible. And in the danger of bleeding on your spouse is they may become resentful to the church and to the individuals that you're dealing with the conflict over. <clears throat> so don't bleed on them, but instead turn to the Lord and bleed on him mm -hmm. is the best avenue in prayer and be prepared to do that and be, be confident enough to know that is enough when you're in the midst of conflict. I would also say you need, there is safety in a multitude of counselors. You need to surround yourself with fellow pastor counselors explain the situation to them. You need, you need men who are at least 10 years down the road from you, who you trust and think are solid men as, as a help in those um, counselors to, to know what to do. And, and then also fellow pastors, you know, similar age, similar background, similar context. Uh, so, you know, gather their wisdom and collect wisdom is another critical thing whenever we're dealing with conflict as we go into it on the front end. And then finally, I would say, hopefully you've done somewhat of a decent job of explaining to your church, here's the out of bounds for conflict and here's inbounds, right? So, you know, running around and doing a phone call, burning up the phones and talking to everybody except the person you're in conflict with is unacceptable. If you have a conflict with somebody, you, you go and talk to the person you're in conflict with, not everybody else in the church. The running joke is, and the pastor's the last one to hear about it because the text messages and the phones have been burning up all day. And then finally, somebody gets up enough gall to say, Pastor, have you seen this? And uh, so not, not helpful whenever you do that. So setting expectations for your people is critical. I think that's good. I think that's in, incredibly helpful for anyone um, that's that's certainly in the middle of conflict or senses that conflict might be on the horizon. Hopefully, even encouraging. But uh, but Travis, I'm going to ask a question now that I fear might get a response that some people might not appreciate or understand right out of the gate. <laughs> Travis, here it is: the big question. Mm -hmm. Can all church conflict be resolved? No. Oh, oh no. <laughs> no and never. <laughs> um, let me clarify why. Uh, 
as I can't remember the book right now. I didn't come up with this, but this has been true in my own personal ministry. It is also true in everyone's ministry I've spoken with. I would actually even say most church conflicts not going to be resolved, which is even more discouraging. But um, think about what's happening in church conflict. You have people who are upset, angry, unmet expectations, been depositing their anger and their unmet expectations in the in the bank of resentment and um, they're nurturing their anger and their pain they're feeding it it's growing they're you know many times deficient in in gospel-centered peacemaking skills and to have reconciliation we see it modeled in the gospel so God has said that it's his will that none should perish, right? But do people still go to hell? Yes, they do. Because there's a difference, I think, in scripture between the heart that's ready to forgive, because I think that verse describes a heart on God's part that's ready to forgive, and the transaction of forgiveness. And the transaction of forgiveness is when people repent and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. So you apply this to the church and, you know, you'll hear people say, well, when you're in conflict with somebody, you don't have to have a conversation with them. Well, some verses indicate that in scripture and some verses don't, uh, you know, in, in, uh, Matthew, it talks about if you have a problem and, and you're in conflict with your brother, put your gift down at the altar and go, go, uh, reconcile that with that him, with him immediately. So that verse seems to indicate you got to talk to him. And then there's some verses you don't seem to have to talk to him. Uh, I would always recommend talking to him, particularly, I, I believe in the three-day rule, okay? So here's the three-day rule. If it still bothers you after three days, you need to have a conversation about it. But if you go home and you get up the next day and it don't bother you and you don't think about it and they don't think about it, uh, I don't know that there needs to be a conversation. You know, some passages seem to indicate that, well, uh, you can just kind of forgive people and it's okay. But uh, But most of the time... Uh, that's not usually the case. So I would, I would say that. And then on top of that, we have to do forgiveness work, right? So you have to, whoever the offended party, whoever's upset has to get their heart into a position where they're ready to forgive. Uh, you know, sometimes the things that they want to forgive, the person who's done them is not even aware they've done them. This is a regular thing that happens in churches, particularly with pastors and and leaders. People perceive things as one way and don't give the benefit of the doubt or credit, and then they just jump to conclusions and a mess is made. But it just takes one person in the equation to throw the whole transaction of forgiveness off and the reconciliation is not possible. Mm. Uh, It is frequently the issue that you have one party who is ready and willing to work it out and one party who is not. And so that's why I say, no, it's mm. not. But it is oftentimes manageable. Sometimes there could be a management of it. And uh, that's probably a whole nother episode for the podcast on how mm. to manage church conflict, uh, particularly when you can't reconcile church conflict. So uh, any other clarifications on that? Well, I think... I understand what you're saying. And I imagine that when someone hears that question, can all church conflict be resolved? And then here's this response. No, I wonder if the immediate reaction is, 
Well, if that's the case, if all church conflict can't be resolved, doesn't that reflect negatively upon the power of the gospel? Mm. And I think what you're saying, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, is that the fact that all church conflict can't be resolved is not a knock on the power of the gospel. It's really a, um, an acknowledgement of the state of humanity. Yes. And it's probably safe to say that the only reason any church conflict can be resolved, or as you just mentioned, even managed, is only a result of the power of the gospel. That's right. And sometimes it can't be managed. Yeah. I mean, and that's hard to hear, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, Satan is a deceiver and powerful. The flesh is powerful. Uh, there's a lot of steps. And, and sometimes church conflicts goes back to uh, people have forgiven prematurely before they had really done the hard work to get themselves ready to forgive and work through something or the disappointment of some unmet, unmet expectation. So, you know, it, it's just a part of the, of the, it's a part of the local church. I mean, people, people think that, um, you know, I can go to the local church and I can get away from the conflicts of the world and how people fight in the world. And, and certainly conflict in the church should look different. It should be different than the outside. Not always, but it should be. So, yeah, I don't think it's a knock towards the power of the gospel at all. Or, the, you know, anytime conflict is resolved, it's because God gets all the credit and the glory. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be the people that all the pagans and all the lost people in the ancient world came to to learn about God. And how well did they do with their job? <laughs> you know, you can just pick any minor prophet or major prophet you want and read about how they spun into idol worship mm -hmm. and you know solomon said nothing new under the sun you know while we don't make wooden idols today we worship sports and we worship family and we worship money and we worship success and entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and ultimately those are all extensions of worshiping self and uh and i think that that gets muddled in and mixed in you know micah writes in the chapter one about how idol worship had entered King Solomon's temple, that beautiful temple that Solomon built, riddled with idols. Hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not much different now, unfortunately. Well, let's um, let's end let's end on a on a positive note. Travis. Positive note, yes, let's do that. So I'm a pastor. I'm a church leader. I'm listening to this episode. I acknowledge that. Churches don't handle conflict well most of the time. Check. I acknowledge, which this part is somewhat encouraging, that just because there's conflict doesn't mean that my church is unhealthy. Double check. I acknowledge that there are multiple avenues in which conflict can occur that are both related to ministry and not to the ministry of the church, possibly even interpersonal relationships within the church. Mm -hmm. Also now acknowledging the fact that some conflict may not be ever totally resolved. Correct. So as a pastor or church leader, what should I do now? Should, is it just time for me to throw in the towel and say, not wasting my time? Or is it time for me to say, okay, I accept these realities. I accept these truths. 
Now, what is going to be my first step in seeing the gospel advance in the church and in the community in which I serve? Well, you know, there. I'll be honest, in the time I've been in ministry, I have seen people in the first category you described. You know, they went through a conflict. They didn't see God's vindication. The ground didn't open up and swallowed the sons of Korah like it did for Moses. So they just quit. You know, there could be no, just look like evil one, you know what I mean? Across the board. But if you're truly called to the ministry, what else can you do? Hmm. Right? You don't have an option of just walking away and not feeling the burden and the burning desire to continue to preach the gospel, teach the word, equip saints for ministry. Um, I, I think that hopefully the truth that we have spoken in this episode should really be an encouragement to you. Hmm. You just need to understand as a pastor, you're going to be put in some no win situations. That's just the reality of ministry. Uh, Paul faced situations like that. You know, at times it was like a felt like a no win and you don't know what all God is doing at one time. I just spoke with one brother. Well, it was uh, one of the hosts here. I won't say which one it was. He said he had a had a guy at the church that got really upset about an issue. The church had made a stance. We're not going to, we don't put political signs up. We don't, we don't allow, you know, endorsements of political candidates here. Guy wanted to sign up to endorse a certain political candidate. They took it down. He got mad. He left the church. Well, he came back, right? So one encouragement is this. Sometimes it can be resolved. Hmm. And sometimes people do come back. You don't know. So what do you need to do? You need to treat them all as if they will and bathe that thing in prayer and don't let that affect and, and end and train wreck and derail your mission because Satan may know he can't stop a called man from continuing on in gospel work. So the best thing he, the next best thing he can do is going to be to just continually distract you with conflict after conflict after conflict. You know, what Spurgeon said once, right? it's it's death by a thousand paper cuts right just mm. <laughs> we can just get you to bleed from you know satan knows he can't not always strike one deep blow to knock a minister over it's death by a thousand paper cuts so you know you just want to learn to have a little bit of a tough skin but have but keep a tender heart towards the lord and towards how he's working with his people yeah well i will just say for me, in this conversation, I think a takeaway, um, some encouragement uh, for for pastors that are trying to handle conflict, want to be prepared for when conflict does come up if they're not um, already dealing with it, is one, everything that you have just said, Travis, is a reminder that Jesus isn't dependent upon you or I to resolve conflict in the church. He expects us to be dependent upon him. That's right. Uh, and, and, and to use us as his instruments of reconciliation. And, and then we just trust in the work of the Holy Spirit going before us um, to work in the lives of people who are in the flesh, who struggle with sin, who struggle with all of the things that even us as pastors struggle with that um, that creates conflict. But the other thing, and you really just said it, and it reminded me of one of the trainings that you and I were, we were together at, uh, at NAM down there in Alpharetta on, I believe it was, I believe it was the replanting, tr- replant training that we went mm-hmm. to. And sort of the little tagline for that training was preach, pray, love, and stay. 
Mm-hmm. And that's really what you were just talking about. Now I would sort of reorder those. I think I would put prayer first. <laughs> yeah, um, and so when it comes, when it comes to encouraging pastors and church leaders, uh, particularly pastors in this regard for handling church conflict is you said it, bathe that thing in prayer, mm-hmm. be, be in your prayer closet, continue to preach the gospel, continue to love your people, continue to love the flock. And then, and then just stay. Uh, Because if you don't stay, then that guarantees that you will not see the conflict resolved. Uh, The the only chance that the conflict being resolved or managed is if, if you are praying, preaching the gospel, loving the people and you're committed, you're staying. So hopefully that's, yeah, that's, that's, I'm with you hundred percent and don't get, you know, don't get worked up whenever you get attacked publicly, because it's going to happen. I mean, you know, if you're a pastor, there's going to be people that are going to try to attack you publicly. I think I read an article once about Charles Stanley. Many people here know who that is. He got either slapped or punched in the face during a business meeting at First Baptist Atlanta in the early years, you know, and so I'm not saying you're going to get punched or slapped, but, you know, in one business meeting, they slashed two of my tires at one church I was in. and That was kind of crazy. I had a hard time believing that happened, but it did. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a good friend of my dad's, the guy was so laid back and his name was Louis Jones and Louis, Louis was always in all these different, com- you know, he, if he ever got in a conflict, he was just cool as a cucumber. And he would say, just remember, they can't eat you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they can't eat you. You know what I mean? They're not going to rip you apart and start feasting on your flesh. I mean, they might have burnt preacher after service one morning at the table, one evening at the table, but they're not going to physically do that to you. It's just mm-hmm. going to be gossip and words. And uh, God hears those things and he takes care of those things and just have confidence in who God is and in his mission and, and let that be your center. You know what I mean? Let, let the gospel be your center and, and and I'm talking to myself right now, just as much as anybody and, and try not to get, try not to take that bait Satan wants, you know, I, you know, he would love to induce a big blow up on the part of the pastor and just throw gasoline on that conflict and make it worse, you know, and sometimes conflict gets worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. One, one last encouragement I was reading in Micah and, you know, evil has a sort of self-destructive tendency to it. It kind of burns itself out. You know what I mean? Over time, sometimes it needs to sort of go and consume so that from the ashes of that, God's work can, uh, can grow and, and in some ways be fertilized to advance what he needs done. So, yeah, that's good. I hope that, uh, I hope that this has been a help and an encouragement to our listeners. Hey, listen, I hope that somehow you've managed to be a healthy church without conflict. I'm not sure if that's possible, but uh, yeah, I, I hope that's happened for you. <laughs> I would be questioning how well you're, uh, yeah. well you're telling the truth there. And so for all of you, all of you churches out there that are in the weeds that are dealing with church conflict, uh, listen, I hope this has been encouraging for you. Travis, thank you for sharing with us. Absolutely. From the knowledge that you have gained from personal pastoral uh, ministry. And uh, listen, if you're our listeners, uh, let us know. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Let us know if there's topics or if there's concerns. Hey, maybe we've talked about church conflict and you've got some specific church conflicts that you would like to, to hear some more about. Bring them in. Bring them yeah. in here. 
send them send them to us let us know we'd love to hear about those we will we will protect your identity and we will talk about the problems because if you've got the problem you're probably not the first one to have it so shoot those to us we hope you've enjoyed our episode today and we'll see you next time all right You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.